There we go. Hello and welcome everyone to our next week in the encounter. Before we jump in this morning, I am Reverend Rebecca Zardi. I'm the Director of Ministry with Women for the Ministry Council for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. One breath. I did it in one breath. And this is my cohort in crime. I'm Chris Fleming. I'm the Director of uh, Coordinator of Adult Ministries for the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And that's Leo. And he's going to be Leo. They were hoping he's going to be good. Um, He better be good. He's kind of angry, though. You got to watch out for him. He's terrible. He can be pretty angry. Yeah, yeah. Share your screen because we want to talk to you about this awesome opportunity for young adults. Um, This is college, beginning college through late 20s. Um, We're talking about a life giving way. And Chris, you want to tell us more about what a life giving way is? And so a life-giving way is something that, uh, I don't know, it's been used a lot to describe things like uh, rule of life or um, the rule of St. Benedict. Anyway, what it is, is is a way in which we can live a little bit more spiritual in an unspiritual world. And the history of the church has given us all kinds of good tools uh, that you might not know about. You know, it's the things like fasting, it's things like your daily prayers, it's things like service opportunities, which we all have. But basically what we try to do is to say, how does it look in our everyday life? How can we plan it in such a way that, you know, sometimes when you wake up in the morning and you, you go through the drudge of making sure you have your 15 minute quiet time or your 20 minute quiet time or however long. But really, it's not what we're trying to do is to say spirituality is not an add on. It's actually how you live. And then you plan your life with your spirituality and, and everything's intentional. And so, and it forces you to make your priorities, right? So if your spiritual life is first, then you build around it and you don't try to sneak in spirituality. And it's not as scary because once you pivot from that thought of how can I add in more Jesus time? And then you begin to see your whole life as Jesus time. Um, it makes things a little bit easier. And so that's what we're going to explore. And uh, the way we're going to do that is through the hybrid classes, kind of, I say hybrid. We'll have eight meetings uh, beginning April 28th, I think. Is is that right? April 28th? Yeah, that's correct. So we'll meet April on, 28th online. Yeah, we'll meet on Zoom. We've got two books for people to read as we go through this. And it's about different spiritual exercises, disciplines, habits, however you would describe them. And each week we'll talk about a couple of them. And then we'll also put them into practice. And that will culminate then at a five-day retreat. I think it's five days, four or five days. Four day, four day. Um, Yeah, four or five day. At a cabin near Gatlinburg. So we can explore how these have changed our lives over the last two months. And then we can make a plan moving forward, how to continue them. And then also just to worship and celebrate. Absolutely. It's a really exciting opportunity. If, If you're anything like me, I know you look at, life I've looked at life of oh does this mean I have to get up and a little extra earlier and to do this and that but it's it's not it's learning how to just make every day centered around God and everything that I'm doing centered around God and it's um learning about this stuff myself has helped my walk so I'm really excited to be able to share this information with other people I'm really excited that um, Chris and I are being able to collaborate together to share this with our young adults because it will make a world of difference in your life so if you're 
interested, if you're um, looking forward to this, then you can go to the website here, cpcmc.org forward slash YA cohorts. It is the second one listed on the plate on the page called a life giving way. Um, and then if you just scroll down to the bottom of the page, you can register for this sign up now um, and register for this cohort that begins April 28th. We do have a limited space. So please um, don't, if you're just like on the fence, oh, I'm going to register later, please don't wait to register because we do not have, um, we've only got room for about um, 12 participants. So we need you to register now so that we make sure that we have enough space for all those that are wanting to. So if you have any questions, you can always email or call us and we will gladly answer any questions that you might have about this um, awesome opportunity. Exactly. Anything else? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited, yeah, I'm excited too. It, it has changed. It has changed a lot in the way I, yeah. the way I operate in life. I was, yes. the devotion for this morning is from Jeremiah where it echoes the Psalms passage. Well, you're like a tree planted by, by the water that even when the heat comes, you're still receiving, you know, heat and you don't get rain or whatever. You're, you're still connected to the source of life. Yeah. Yeah. The way to think about it. And it's a beautiful way to start our day and just to recognize that, um, we are daily connected to God. It's not, um, just in special moments, not just Sunday morning. It's every day. It's every moment that we're connected. That's it. Awesome. Okay. Well, now that we've given you that awesome introductory course to this wonderful cohort that we're doing, let's go ahead and get into our lesson for today. We're talking about John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. We've entitled this, Who is Your King? Yeah. Our prayer for illumination. Let's have that. Oh, Lord God, in our study today, help us to see we belong to a heavenly kingdom. Let our desires be rooted in its values and let us fall deeply in love with our King, Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ. Illumine our minds to receive your word. Amen. It's an excellent way to start off. Chris is our author for today and our memory verse is John 19 verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, here is your king. And Chris, you start us with this one with a really good discussion question. And one I think that most people struggle with of understanding. You say during the season of Lent, we are reminded that we are to pick up our cross and follow Jesus because we probably haven't been persecuted or will not die because of our faith. What does it mean to pick up our cross and to claim Jesus is Lord? Um, that's a deep question. Yeah, because, um, so the Christian faith grows the fastest when it's being persecuted or yes. when, when conditions are not good, people find a greater meaning in spirituality. People take their spirituality a little bit more serious. So in our world where, I mean, honest to goodness, I mean, I live in the South and most of the people here that are watching this live in the South to where you're yeah. encouraged. Like, it's a good thing if you're a Christian and you go to church and all that good stuff. Yeah. And so we're in the Bible Belt. Yeah. Sometimes it's hijacked as just a badge of honor. It's not that way in a lot of places, especially not with uh, we'll talk about in the early, early centuries of the church. Um, you could be killed for it. And so we all have our struggles and we all have our challenges. They did back then. We do now. But it's different and it's worth thinking about. What does it mean to? To pick up our cross and claim Jesus Christ as Lord in this 
situation. Sure. Um, sure. And it's hard because sometimes we, um, because culture and Christianity has become so tight knit, sometimes it's different. Sometimes uh, it means being a Boy Scout when it really doesn't mean being a Boy Scout, right? Sometimes it means, yeah, sure. you know, sometimes it means you're being a hard worker and you're working 80 hours a week for your family because that's the, that's the way it should be. But then when Christian values come in and be like, mm, I don't know if 80 hours a week and you abandoning your family is really good, even though right. people might say it's good. So sure, that's sure. where I, that question comes from. Uh, that's, I think that's a great question for our Sunday school teachers. Anybody that's running through this lesson is what, what does this mean for you? Because we do have varied listeners that are all across the globe. You know, what is it for you in your area? Cause it's going to be different for those of us that are in the Bible belt that don't face that daily persecution to people that live outside of the Bible belt and maybe don't have um, the same kind of security that we have in following Christ here inside of that Bible belt. So it's a really, it's a really good question to kind of start the study off to get a feel of your class and how, um, how they feel and what's going on in their life. You start off the introduction with Polycarp. I love Polycarp. I did just, I just really, uh, he lived an amazing, an amazing life. Um, and just what he went through, you know, and you have this really great introductory of, of the things that were similar between Polycarp and Christ and in, towards the end of Polycarp's life as well. And you say, and the last paragraph of this introduction, you say, we'll probably not have to choose between life and death because of our faith, but we do have to make everyday decisions that show whether our King is Jesus or the emperor. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to highlight that because really, I mean, like the craziest thing of this of this particular scripture is how easily the Jews and the Pharisees, or you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other people would just flat out say we have no king but the emperor, no king but Caesar. Like yeah. that that's heartbreaking, actually. That's as yeah, and I as think anything that's going that on. really stuck out to me in this reading this time. Um, I mean, it struck me before, but it's amazing just how quickly those that claimed God just all of a sudden, we don't have any king except Caesar. Yeah, that's, you know? that was really heartbreaking when I was yeah. trying to figure out what to write or whatnot. I honed in on that and I thought, man, it's just so easy to lose your values <laughs> when yeah. it's convenient. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right here in the United States, we don't usually think about life or death because of our faith, but those everyday decisions, those things that we're looking at every day, when we're talking to people, when we're making conscious choices about how we treat people or um, what we do or don't do for people, you know, are we looking at Lord Jesus as our King? Are we respecting him as our King or are we letting the world and the culture around us be, be our emperor? That's, yeah. That was, that was pretty hard. That was a hard hitter. I really appreciated that. Cause that really made me think about um, just my own life and things that are going on. So exploring the scripture, the historical context, what do you got going on here? You got a lot of great descriptions of people and I love this. So pay attention teachers. This is a good section. Yeah. Pay attention. Uh, pay attention. <laughs> so uh, the, the thrust behind this was, is to see, cause like in, in any social situation, like one of the one of the fun things for me is to watch politics and how groups shift when it's 
when it's convenient, like, right, to yeah. form these alliances that otherwise they would never, like, talk to each other. But then, like, there's this yeah. one thing that's important to both groups. And so all of a sudden, they're best friends for, like, 15 minutes. And then they, you know, conquer that hill or whatever, and then they go to another one. But I think what this does do in, the, in this setting is it explains how, then, Jesus can be crucified the way he is, right? So, like, in order for Jesus to get to the point of being on a cross, you have to have everything just work perfect for it to happen so quickly and for it to happen at all. And so, um, and I've I've said kind of one of the thrusts of this lesson is, is that the crucifixion obviously was about Christ and dying and rising, but it also just exposes our evilness and how, how that evil just gets in and plays around. And so, um, so you had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, which make up the Sanhedrin, and then you had the Roman political authorities. So the way it was structured is any type of punishment like this would have to go through those channels. And so first it had to go through the Sanhedrin, then it had to go over to the uh, Roman government. Um, But the, so there's the three groups. You have generally speaking, two groups, religious folks and the government, but within the religious group, you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mm -hmm. And so I did try to bring up just some of the different things, the differences. Yeah. Interesting the differences between those two groups and what they believed and didn't believe. Yeah. So the Sadducees were kind of like the kind of ruling class in the sense of they, they hung around the temple, made sure everything at the temple in Jerusalem was right. All the rituals were done in accordance with whatever, but they were also kind of liaisons to the Roman empire, which was needed too, because the Romans needed some assurances that things weren't going to go crazy because if it did, then, you know, they might have an overreaction on a local population. Um, and so, but they took liberalities too, right, from the Jewish religion to make this fit work. Mm-hmm. And so they ended up being, like I said in here, kind of the aristocratic type. So really wealthy Jews or merchants or whatnot. Yeah. They And I thought it was interesting that you pointed out in this that and I knew this before, but it's always a good reminder that the Sadducees were people that did not believe in the afterlife. They did not believe in the resurrection, that they did not believe in angels or demons. And it was interesting to me to think about the fact that they were the ruling class that oversaw the temple and everything that happened at the temple, but yet they didn't believe in this life after death. Well, yeah, but so, and I tried to kind of connect that with like Jews today. So Mm -hmm. Jews today on the vast majority, like, so, so when you talk about Jew, that's where it's kind of hard too, because you have an ethnicity, right? And then you have a religion and then you just, you know, so like, it's, it's hard to, it's like when Paul says, not everyone, not every one in Israel is an Israelite kind of, not every Jew is right thing, because throughout the centuries, the Jewish folks have experienced more or less religious thought. Like, so today, the Jewish folks are kind of the least religious group by ethnicity in, in some sense. I know that makes that's hard to say, but like, you know, um, like if you look at Muslim dominated countries, they take their religion really, really serious. And you could like get killed if you weren't doing everything mm-hmm. you're supposed to do. But Jews today, while they love the ritual, they don't necessarily have any 
care whatsoever for any of the religiosity of religion. And I think that's kind of a key when we're talking about Sadducees, because they were more about the ritual itself than they were about the meaning behind the ritual. It was just to make sure that things were cultural identity. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was interesting in comparison to the Pharisees who the Pharisees were the ones that you tell us here that were more around the, the blue collar workers. Because they were in charge of the synagogues, right? Right. So the synagogues that had spread out. So the local population went to the synagogue because you couldn't go to the temple every day or every year or every week because, you know, you lived a hundred miles away or whatever. So, sure. so you had the, that's a trip. <laughs> and, then, and then the Pharisees were more like we would be, I say this, we'd be more comfortable with Pharisees in the Carmelo Presbyterian church in the sense of they were, spiritually minded folk they weren't just about rituals right so uh she wanted to say hi today your animal comes in into yeah. play yeah this is the uh this is the uh, studio this is what we get during pandemics and <laughs> low yeah that's um, what we do but anyway so yeah it is interesting how these and, and so so that led to conflict obviously like yeah. today like you know we can fight about everything Especially when it comes Absolutely. to things like afterlife or no afterlife, that'd be a big conversation in the Carmelo. I, I would think so. I would um, think that would be a huge conversation. Yeah. Like types of worship, you know. Right. Um, like I'm, I'm a ritualist in that sense. Like I like the rituals and the liturgy, whereas lots of our churches, they like the more free flow, free form worship. Mm-hmm. You know. So. And we, so that would be uh, like the the Pharisaical just the intent behind it, not yeah. versus the Sadducee where they're making sure that everything is done prescribed to the letter. Yeah. Like I said, it's just a, it's, it's a difference in thought, but, but sure. I'll, I'll say this Sadducees didn't survive past. I think the, once the temple fell, uh, they were pretty much done. Um, right now they're, as I've said, they're kind of thought about Jewish religion has lived on for generations, but them as a group pretty much died away. Right. But and then the third group that you introduced us to, so that was the that was the religious aspect. That was the religious side where we have these two competing groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, making up the Sanhedrin. But then they get together, even though that they disagree on so much stuff. But then at this point, they get together because they're all in agreement that Jesus got to go. I mean, it's just Jesus has got to go. So then they come together in this aspect. Right. Um, to make sure that Jesus is taken care of. What I want to bring up, though, that is very, very important, I think, for Sunday school teachers and churches to think. Like, it's this, on page 33, uh, mm-hmm. last full paragraph. Okay. The warning for us today is, is that we have to have a connection with Jesus Christ. You can be liberal, progressive, whatever and you can stand for everything the world thinks is right, like the Sadducees, and you can get along with culture or whatnot, but you'll miss Jesus. And then on the flip side, if you're so conservative and nationalistic or, or whatnot, and, and really your, your identity in this earth is more important than your spirituality, you'll miss Jesus. So both of these religious groups, these religious authorities, missed the Messiah. So don't do that. Right, <laughs> don't do that. right. absolutely because they were so busy looking at what they thought was right that they couldn't see like they couldn't see the forest through the trees right 
they could not recognize their own Messiah because they were so concerned with being correct. Right. And that's, that's yeah. important to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And so then the third group that you, that you introduce is too. So we've been introduced to the religious aspect. Now let's get introduced to the governmental aspect. The ruling authority at that time was Rome. Yes. Caesar. So I guess the interesting thing in this is Herod the Great. I mean, he was in power because the Roman Empire forced it. And I did think it was, you know, when I did the research on this and found out Herod's father was friends with Julius Caesar and, you know, all that good stuff. So like, you know, Herod the Great being the leader of the Jews or the ruler of the Jews, again, had nothing to do with religion. It had nothing to do with even people's desire. But <clears throat> it's the Roman Empire was taking care of itself. They wanted um, ethnic groups. Uh, to retain their identities sure in as far as it didn't cause trouble right right so because like, they learned from history themselves where yeah. there were other aristocracies that had come through um like i think it was the assyrians when they assimilated they they literally scattered the people abroad and they weren't allowed to do anything but the state religion right. you know they they and then they found that that was bad because then all of a sudden you have these people revolting because not only did you scatter them but now you're forcing them to follow a religion or a god that they didn't believe in so the romans learned from the mistakes of the past and understood that it was important to allow ethnic groups to retain um their particular religion but only if yeah. <laughs> they also paid homage to caesar <laughs> yeah. and and like i said the sadducees did that a lot easier than the pharisees sure. and that was their yes. conflict um and then i brought up how this played out even in the gospels with like john the baptist being beheaded because he criticizes king herod yeah. or like this is where it comes in when you know like, I would love somebody to test me. Are you going to pay your taxes or not? You're like, well, yeah, I am. Right. But but that was when the, the point of the question when somebody asked Jesus if he was going to pay taxes to Caesar. He could either right. be, you know, well, insurrectionist because he's not submitting to Rome or um, he he uh, pays the taxes and, you know, he's he submits to Rome. And so it, that's right. one of those conflicts where it works out or they're trying mm -hmm. to trick Jesus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyway. And I love that I think it's page 34. You talk about Cumberland Presbyterians have always been champions of medium theology. Medium theology is not only a theological position between Calvinism and Arminianism, that's a long word, but it is also a social stance between Sadducee and Pharisee, between politics and dead spirituality. It is not compromised between the two, but a position stating that the world and its systems are evil but God is good and God's grace shows up in the most unlikely places like a suffering Messiah and unjust crucifixion so that the world may know God loves all people, even the least of these. So for our viewers today and for those uh, that may not be aware of what can you define Calvinism and Arminianism for us? Theologically speaking at the beginning, it was Calvinism and predestination, like from, from eternity, from creation, God had the elect and the non-elect. And then it plays out through the preaching of the gospel, the elect is called. But if you weren't elect, you'd never be able to respond to the gospel message. Arminianism is basically every, everybody's free and everyone has a choice to, you know, become a Christian. So mm -hmm. 
um, the easiest way to think about it would be this. When Jesus Christ died and rose again, did it accomplish something or did it make something possible? So okay. in other words, technically, if we were all Arminian, then Christ would have died and not a single soul technically could have submitted and accepted it. But when Christ died, did he accomplish the salvation of God's people? <clears throat> mm -hmm. That's one way to look at that. And we Carmelian Presbyterians throughout the centuries, you know, throughout, we've been uneasy on both. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, because we don't do the predestination thing, because that's one thing that, that we left the, the Presbyterian church over. Whosoever will. That's the whosoever right, yeah. will part. That is the whosoever will part of us. Yeah, absolutely. But we're not Methodist either. And we're not free will Baptist because we also believe that God first has to regenerate someone's heart in yeah. order to be able to respond. And so, however, all that works out. Right. We're, we're middle, we're right. middle ground. And then so far as when we say median theology too, I want to make something really clear because I think in this day and age or in this particular time in the Carmel Presbyterian church, we think of it as compromise. Like this group thinks this way, this group thinks this way, how can we bring it in the middle? That's not what we do. We have an actual theology that's in the middle. <laughs> it's not that we've just taken what we like and blamed it together, but it's saying because of God's nature or because of God, who God is, this is what we believe. And we find that's in the middle of those two things, whether it be social things, like again, we don't compromise in social stuff. It's that we have a, we have a standard, but that standard happens to be in the middle based upon our theology and so on and so forth. So right. when we talk about Kermelin Presbyterianism, our, our ethos or our ethic is to be a little less dogmatic, but it's not because we don't have a position. We have right. a certain position. Uh, and, and so anyway, that's important for Absolutely. me to say, because um, I've, I've heard in Presbyteries or among people, they say, well, you know, we can find a middle ground. Yeah. It's not because we're compromising. It's because it is what we do. It is our memories, right. our thoughts. Yes. So anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> so that, that's a really good point for us. And then you close this section with a discussion of how we're familiar with pledging allegiance to our national flags. And what does it mean when we do that? Our true citizenship is in heaven. What does it mean to pledge allegiance to Christ as king? What are some of the conflicts arising from those competing allegiances? Yeah, it's a okay. tough yeah, that is a tough one because I think um, always, always, and we talked about this, I think last week, that our citizenship is in heaven. I may be a citizen of the United States of America here on earth, but my citizenship resides with Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. So that, that comes first, that always comes first, you know, and if, and if I think Things are not because my allegiance is in heaven. I'm going to spread kingdom values and I'm going to share kingdom opportunities first and foremost. Um, and, and I don't want to do anything that would conflict with my allegiance to Christ. Yeah. I guess is the best way I, I know how to put that for me. Yeah, it's hard. And we did talk about this. I'll tell you one of the reasons as to why this is... Uh been important to me i had an experience at the margaret hank church one time we had a visitors um of other nationalities one time 
Um, and anyway, we, we had the flag, our American flag in the sanctuary on one side and the Christian flag on the other side. Um, and then anyway, after talking with them for a little while, uh, they brought up the fact these these were Japanese folks be like, you know, their grandfather had died at um, one of the, uh, you know, bomb cities, oh, Nagasaki. Yeah, Nagasaki. Um, and he's like, so did the church bomb me or or bomb my family or um, or was it America? But that was his that's what he said about having the flag in the sanctuary. Sure. Um, and so now again, I have no, I have no dog in the hunt on that one because that's a, that's a firestorm. But I just remember him asking me that. And um, that was something I've just thought about. Um, sure. How do we wed the allegiances to nations which go to war and maybe for some unjust reasons, the church doesn't go to war with other, you know, that's the difference in the kingdoms. And so, yeah. That, that was just something. Yeah. So something to talk about in your classes today. You know, what exactly does that mean? And how does that play out yeah. in your life or maybe there in your in your church? So let's dig a little bit deeper because this this lesson does get pretty deep. It's not um, this is not a cursory glance at the scripture. We're getting pretty deep in this stuff. So what, what do you got for digging deeper? Uh, so what surprised me? you know, because I've studied the Bible a long time, but I've never um, connected how much John, and we've said this in previous, that's probably why it keeps coming up, how yeah. much John is purposely connecting Jesus Christ to a Paschal lamb or the Passover lamb or whatnot, because, you know, in a lot of the institutions I was educated at, um, it, it was taught as more, you know, the death of Christ was more metaphorical than it was connected um, so anyway, but while I was studying, I was like, oh my goodness, John is just almost in every page trying to Hammering connect Jesus home. With, with the Lamb of God. Yeah. And so what I tried to bring out without overdoing it was that um, it wasn't just made up fantasy at 300 AD that Jesus Christ was a re redemptive sacrifice. Now, you again, we've said before, you can think of the death of Christ in a lot of ways. And the more you think about it, it's probably just a more full picture, but we can't, I don't think that it's wise or good or um, hermeneutically correct to say that the second century church made the atonement a ransom or a, sure. like, right. I just, I can't, I, it's all over the place. Um, sure. So, um, so he uses those phrases like none of the bones shall be broken, right? Or he, and like in verse 36 of this passage, or when he says that this took place on the day of the preparation for the, for the Passover. Um, when Peter says we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, like, like a lamb without deflect or blemish. Again, that's going back to the instructions oh, of yeah. Exodus. And then, of course, Paul actually says, you know, we have a Paschal lamb, right? Yes. Like, so like. Beginning, it's, middle, end. John's just saying this is this is a lamb that's been slaughtered, right? Yeah, so, this this is the Passover lamb. Yeah. Jesus is the Passover lamb for us. All connecting that back to the whole ritual and Exodus and what that meant for us. Yeah, and so I think that's important. I mean, the imagery was in, intended. So, like, if you're a Sunday school teacher yes. or whatnot, I mean, how how does then the Exodus 
or maybe how is the exodus fulfilled in the cross and the mm-hmm. resurrection? I think maybe mm-hmm. that's what it does. Because I really do think that's what John was trying to do. Again, I'll have people that disagree with me. And if you're a Sunday school teacher, fine, disagree with me. Just bag it up. Mm-hmm. And what was the point of what John was doing? Because he just worked real hard at this imagery throughout this book. Yes, he really does. I mean, and that's, that's something that I think we've done through this whole lesson of John is recognize that again, it's not a chronological, it is a metaphorical and imagery that he uses to move the storyline along to show the deity of who Christ really was and is, which is our, our Passover lamb. Absolutely. Yeah. So then I would go on like right before the learning from the scripture section, it's Mm -hmm. not another, you know, the Paschal or Passover lamb is one image of the death of Christ. And I would say the you know, the redemption of Christ. What are the other symbols of Jesus's death? And I think it would be good. I mean, like, you know, the reason why Catholics have a crucifix crucifix, is because they emphasize the the death and the passion and the pain of of what sin is. The reason why Protestants have an empty cross is because we emphasize the resurrection. And and so, uh, and so like in scripture, you have Jesus Christ as the victor, like in the book of Revelation, where he's coming on that white horse, like you would read. Mm -hmm. And then you have some, you know, where like he's the lamb, right? So what are the other images of redemption in Christ? I think that's a really good thing to think about. And instead of saying like, this is right and that's wrong, it's probably these are right, right? Yeah. And expand your knowledge of salvation. Big picture, the big picture of it, you know, because there were so many um, symbolic imagery moments during that time that's listed all throughout the gospels of who Christ what he fulfilled and what he did that it's not just one or it's all. And yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I think the one image that means the most to me is the, is the water. I just love the, the image of the, the everlasting gift of, of water, that spiritualness. Yeah. I think that one's beautiful. What about you? Which one means the most for you? Hmm. I don't know. Actually, so this is from, this is Advent, but my favorite Advent um, ornament is the globe and the cross above it. It's just this thought of Christ, you know, as is the king of the world, right? Like redeemed king. So I guess probably, you know, that, you know, if I was pigeonholed, I would be a Christus Victor understanding of atonement theory, right? Like, but anyway. um, Very cool that's the symbolism that I would go with. Very cool. It's a good question for your class today. See what your, what your uh, fellow compatriots say or what they think. How about learning from the scripture witness of the church? We're in the season of Lent. Um, this is a season for us to really focus deeper. You talk about that here about how um, hopefully through the season of Lent, you've really looked at your own heart and taking a reflection picture and seeing places where, um, as you point out on page 35, where seeds of pride and greed, where they're right inside of our hearts. Um, I know for me, this has been a season of, of the spiritual disciplines for me is really just, um, how do I continue to make everything that I do, um, 
connecting to God instead of just trying to compartmentalize this or this, how do, how do I do that in my daily life? And so this has been a good season for me to reflect on places that I, I wasn't allowing God to be a part of my life or I wasn't inviting him in to be a part of my life. So how do we do that? And in, in, in with this, how do we do this with John? How do we do this with the Passover lamb? How do we look at ourselves today? So I, th- I think what I was coming through here was something to where like, it's easy for us. Like it's the classic question. I mean, like ah. you could say that, you know, the Jewish people had been persecuted in a lot of Christian regions because they were assigned the death of Jesus or the death of God. Sure. And that's horse pucky uh, because we would do the same thing. We absolutely. And that's what I'm trying to say. Lent does. I mean, like who was it? There was not a single person. You know, Simon of Cyrene was the closest and he was compelled to take up Jesus's cross for a time. Mm-hmm. In the book. Yep. None of us would put our skin in hot water and, and that exposes us. I mean, I think it should. So I want to make sure like we don't look at the never read the crucifixion of Christ thinking, oh, those people are so terrible because you were those yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, we are those people. We and can be those Lent, people. I hope is doing is saying it exposes like if you're fasting. And in like five minutes, you're already like going down to Kroger and getting like the little bag of little Hershey bars just so you can throw some chocolate in your mouth because it's too hard. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like it's just so easy yeah, to be bad and to sure. make excuses for our badness. Like, yes, absolutely. I remember the first time I tried to, I tried to fast. It's so easy. You can be like I a headache, you know, I have whatever I'm like. And God doesn't really want me to like, you know, kill myself over this. So we'll just take one, you know, this, and then we'll keep, yes. and, and that's fine. I, there, but it's just so easy to justify our actions. And by the time we're done, man, it just makes us, we can do whatever we want to, if we justify it. And, yes, absolutely. And, and the truth is we're just bad sometimes. We're, we're just as bad. <laughs> we're just as bad as the Pharisees. We're just as bad as the Sadducees, you know, um, I almost kind of, honestly, as I read through this, I almost kind of felt bad for Pilate and the fact that his hands were really tied. Um, yeah. And I love how, how Jesus told him, you know, you wouldn't have this power if it wasn't given to you, <laughs> which that really kind of humored lesson, me. But yeah, that, that, right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, like power. Was it last lesson? I think it was last power, wasn't it? it was, I think it was because. We, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was. Well, we talked about power in the last lesson. That could be. Um, but just how, how Pilate, even through, even through this, being as terrible as he was. Um, yeah, no, it was on the very end of your, of, of oh, no, you're right. learning from scripture. The I very don't know end what I'm it. talking about. No, you're fine. <laughs> I was That's like, are you sure it was last lesson? I was confused. No, the very end of, end of that. Yes, you're right. um, Pilate therefore said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? again, because his hands were tied because the Pharisees and Sadducees, you know, were like, no, crucify him. And Pilate's like, I I don't have any reason to crucify him. He's like, well, then, you know, he's claiming to be king and he's coming up against Caesar and anybody that, you know, is trying to come up against Caesar. And Pilate was like, hold up, hold up. Even though he was such a terrible person. I mean, we learned that in the last lesson, how terrible person Pilate was. And so when Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, 
you would have no power over me unless it was given to you from above. Bam. Yeah. Just uh, like that. Yeah, I think, and I think what I want to do is, is maybe it's not, so we talk about power a lot in, in our world, but maybe it's more, um, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, Pilate, they all wanted to show themselves as powerful. It's not necessarily sure. that they had power. They just didn't want to be boxed in to say this guy's better or greater than us. Right. And so, but we do that too. Yes, and, it's the perceived power. Yeah. It's perceived power. Yes. And we so, want to display our perceived power. Right. And it can be something stupid. But like it's when me and my wife, like I'll clean something, but it wasn't good enough. And so she'll, and then I'll be like, well, that's just stupid. Why would you care about that? Right. But it's like, it's stupid. It's clean. But yeah. why do you, you know, and you just start pushing things because you're like, oh, somebody <laughs> dissed me or, you know, they don't think that I did a good enough job. Right. And, yeah. and it's so even the little things, it exposes the fact that we desire to be looked upon as great. We desire yes. to be looked upon. And so what they, what Pilate and the religious Pharisees were doing was their act of humiliation. They were showing off themselves while at the same time making sure that this Jesus person was humiliated, right? Right. For, for right. them, humiliation was probably more of the point than the crucifixion. Right. Yes, because it it gave them that perceived power that they were in control. Yeah. When Christ, you know, turns around and tells Pilate. Yeah, big boy. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't have any power if it weren't given to you from above. And, and so just do what you got to do. And that plays into the discussion question of how do we understand greatness and how did Christ show strength during the trial and crucifixion? What made Christ powerful and how did the powerful in this text show weakness? I think that, that's what we were just talking about. Yeah. yeah, that's all that perceived power in our own lives and how how we how we understand greatness here on earth is is by having a, a huge corporation by having a ton of employees underneath you, by having a huge bank account, uh, by being able to buy whatever it is that you, you want to buy and, and, and just, you know, walk into the finest restaurant or the best concert and get the best seats or whatever, you know, this is how we show power here on earth, but that's not the kingdom values that Christ even talks about in the beatitude and the sermon on the Mount. And that's not what he displays here at this moment in time. It's, it's he showed strength through the trial and crucifixion um, by submitting himself to the, the earthly forces, even though he knew that they weren't going to win. Yeah. I mean, that was that was huge because he could have he could have called down 10,000 angels. He could have saved himself, but he chose instead to follow the plan that that God had laid out and to be the atonement for the rest of for humanity to be yeah. that atonement so that's you know to me that's just another beautiful example of looking at the crucifixion as a whole and and understanding that christ made that choice willingly to submit to the father's will yeah i mean i can see it again it's in the little things sometimes if i feel slighted by somebody it can rile me up and sure. usually about 20 minutes later i'm like well i'm a child of god i don't care yeah. Right. I mean, like, and I think that's kind of where, so the power isn't inherent to mm -hmm. us because 
somebody who makes a slide about the way I write or what I say or whatever, they're right. I mean, like, it's not like, you know, I'm not Shakespeare, right? Or we're not great at anything, but that's not where our power comes from. I think it's when we decide to focus and say, no, our power, our benefit, our blessing, our worth is because our we're reflective of God, right? And so yes, that's another thing, misplaced power, misplaced desire gets you in trouble. Absolutely. When you find the right source of power, like Jesus can say, yeah, you think you're powerful, but this is really my choice, right? Yeah. Because I'm, you know, I'm God in the flesh. I'm, I'm connected to to God, right? I'm the Mm -hmm. son of God. I think that's important. Yeah. And that's power. That is power. And what, wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. Applying the scripture. So how do we apply this to our lives? How do we take all this information? I don't know. I will point out, though, page 36 started the first paragraph. <laughs> Jesus has warned that a student is not above their teacher. You know, remember, because of the not master. It's just, so what Jesus says is, is the student is not above the teacher, a slave is not above their master. And I just didn't even notice that I messed that one up. But I'm acknowledging that a student is not above their go. teacher, not master, but whatever. Um, so um, I think what I would like people to apply to this is that like if we're faithful to varying degrees, this is what's going to happen to us in this world. Yes. In some way, like generally speaking, Christianity will help you live a good life. And if you live a good life, you make good choices. If you make good choices, then generally speaking, your life will be better. Mm -hmm. But also being Christian is going to lead you to those uncomfortable situations where people are going to take advantage of you and maybe even treat you harshly. But that's part of the game, right? Yeah. So. Yep. And I think Jesus, you, yeah. you have a great question in the middle of that, of that last paragraph. You say the question is, what is our response? Yeah. When stupid things. What is our response? That'll tell you a lot about what you really feel. Like I said, those little slights that somebody says, if it gets you completely off your rocker, you need to practice some spiritual disciplines. Yeah. Because. <laughs> You're, you're still living earthy on that sense. Yeah. Because um, I've seen, you've and, seen people respond. I've responded. When somebody does something stupid, I just completely overreact. Children, children can make me do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Children do make us overreact a little bit when they, when they don't um, behave in the way that we anticipate that they ought to. <laughs> I am your father. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and what, what is our response? I was thinking back across the lesson where you're talking about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and then of course the Roman power, you know, we can get so wrapped up in the ritual that we forget what the ritual is for, what the actual meaning is, but then we can go so wrapped up in our perceived rightness that we forget how important the ritual can be. And, and, and the meaning behind it and what it, what it does for people. And then we can also get so wrapped up in just being the ruling power. Yeah. You know, um, the other, Gosh. yeah, the other application I would say, if you've been, if you've been on this encounter ride since we reformatted, I think the first year of our fall followed the story of Joseph and, yes. and we talked about how Joseph was a foreshadowing or a type of Christ. And this is what we see. And so I brought that up in that last paragraph. We have an Old Testament example of Joseph 
submitting himself and doing right, even if it meant suffering. But he's yeah. raised to the king pretty much, you know, second yes. command, and, and basically makes commands for the king. So because his power was in his relationship with Yahweh, Yahweh uplifted him. And then we have the ultimate fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ, who the power comes from your relationship and obedience, and then God lifted Christ up. And so that's then our application is that we submit and we don't manipulate, right? Like Joseph's brothers manipulated yeah. the situation and they became a servant. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're manipulating the situation. And although they kill Christ in the body, he's their king. He's lifted up. So. Absolutely. And you close us out. You bring us all the way back to the beginning with Polycarp and the martyrdom of Polycarp. And I, I really appreciate the statistic that you put that in 2020, an average of eight Christians per day were killed because of their faith. How does knowing that stat make you feel when you reflect on your faith and that command from Jesus to take up your cross and follow? I think that's a great question to end with teachers because uh, it really wraps it up. It brings the whole lesson back around because again, we do live in a place, the majority of us here in the Bible belt, that the idea of dying for our faith is very foreign to us. Um, and we don't, we don't typically worry about that. I mean, we may talk about it philosophically or whatever, but it's not, it's not something we really consider. Yeah, it's and knowing that there, that's never sure. Yeah. You know, and knowing that there are people around the globe, our brothers and sisters in Christ who every day are, are facing that, um, you know, what is, how does that play out in your life son? Yeah. Yep. Good lesson. Excellent lesson. Deep thinking. This was not one of those lessons that were like, Oh, let's make everybody. This was a deep thinking. This is meant to make you think, especially during this Lent, um, season, um, I think we're coming up with, this will be what the fourth Sunday of Lent. Um, yeah, we're getting close to, 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 to Easter, to resurrection. Yeah, absolutely. So teachers, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope the, the discussion questions and that we generated really, uh, play well in your, in your group. Um, and that's all I've got. That's all I've got. So, okay. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. And we'll see you next week.